Hey, what's up, podcast? This is an experimental portion of the podcast that we are either going to call podcast session or pod sessions or who knows what we're going to call it, but it's essentially a collection of ramblings with my favorite people. So we will be doing this periodically. Today's episode is a chat with my friend Jamie Katuna. Jamie's been featured in Kevin MD and Doximity and is a great writer and someone I thought would be really interesting to talk to and ramble with. So this is going to be fun and it's uh, something we look forward to hearing your feedback about. So let us know if you like this kind of episode and we'll do more of them. Also, I got to talk about the sponsorship. So if you've been listening to our last few episodes, you've been hearing me talk about Metalita. So I'm going to give you a background real quick about my relationship with Metalita. Two years ago, we started exchanging emails and I would wear their scrubs and display them on my social media. So I essentially created a relationship with this company two years ago and in that two years experience i've really noticed that these people care about us and our community and the people that are in healthcare and it's why i've stuck around with them for so long uh, from the ceo of the company laura francisco to the social media organizers everybody cares about the people that they are helping and that shows in the quality of the material that they produce so their scrubs and their white coats and all of that so that's why they're a company that I actually reached out to to get their uh, sponsorship and you know I don't want my followers or my listeners to ever have to buy anything that I personally wouldn't buy or I personally don't believe in so that's a little bit about that now Jamie and I are going to get into this episode What's up, guys? I am with Jamie Katuna, and we are going to be talking about a bunch of stuff. What's up, Jamie? What's up? How are you doing? I'm good. So for those of you who don't know who Jamie is, you need to Google her and look at all the articles she's written. She's been on Kevin MD a bunch of times and featured proximity a bunch of times. A lot of very, very interesting articles that you've written. And, you know, Jamie is someone who I consider being like, just a thought leader when it comes to not just medicine but just like topics in general i think you you think very outside the box about things you have like a very critical thinking type of way about the things you write about and you look at things from multiple angles i really like it and most like almost all the time like you read my mind so i feel like we vibe pretty well on that (laughs) uh you just wrote this article about the desperation for vigilance around health information and it was about like this whole th- this whole thing with like using the word healthy and mm-hmm. how marketing is kind of throwing around this word and we don't even know we don't even know what healthy means anymore right right i'm gonna i want to look this i want to look up the definition of healthy real quick i just want to see what google says healthy is what is the definition free from disease or pain that is the actual merriam webster definition of healthy Enjoying health and vigor of body, mind, or spirit. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we use that term pretty loosely, and you talked about it in this article. What was that all about? Um, I think just that, like just exactly what you said, how loosely we can use that word and how easily we can throw it around. And then with something that 
is so poorly defined, but is so highly sought after, anybody can uh, capitalize on that and profit. So then you have people, uh, corporations, anybody selling their thing, a chocolate bar or a sugar thing or a morning muffin and calling it healthy because that word defies definition. And you can kind of technically do that. Technically that could be healthy, but we don't know. And consumers don't know. And it's not that, um, the corporations are bad. You know what I mean? Like these are, we live in a capitalistic society. They want to make money. That's what they should be doing. Um, but the problem is the discussion around this word and, and how impossible it is for us to define it. And then, um, their uh, corporation's input into research, so then it even muddies the water even more because research can't define what's healthy if it's being funded by the same uh, corporations that have an interest in it. So it just becomes a mess. The whole realm of what is healthy or nutritious is a mess, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's really it's really hard, I guess, especially um, as you or me, or you're a healthcare professional, I'm a future healthcare professional. Um, that, those are conversations that we have all the time. You know, 70% of the country is overweight or obese and people want to know how can they be healthy? Well, it's like, how could we, what could we tell them when we don't even know? Mm. And then, and then how, how can we share facts around like, you know, how the medical community does, like we just want the answers and then we want to say the answers and that's what it is, but that's not legitimate either. So it's just, it's a tough conversation with a lot of nuances and worth discussing kind of all the moving pieces around it, even when we just want simple answers yes yes there's so like i feel like we just haven't really addressed this very well in the 21st century because we're in the storm of marketing especially now with social media like mm-hmm. like like heavy marketing going on everywhere sponsored ads people selling you on something making claims sometimes ridiculous claims about you know certain foods or diets or fads mm-hmm. and I, I don't think we've I don't think we've actually learned how to um, I, I guess moderate that I don't know if that's the right word but yeah there's there's so much we could talk about regarding this but you you included a couple examples in your blog post like 50 foods that are super healthy we've seen that headline all the time or the mm-hmm. 10 healthiest foods on the planet we've seen these kind of catchy you know grabbing yeah, they're all different yeah all we've the seen these different <laughs> yeah and, and you look you could look up like the same title 10 different posts and none yeah. of them will be the same yeah and you talked about that also so i guess we're in like this marketing era and we're trying to figure out what's credible and what's not and then what are the actual definition of things right and who should we trust who should we not trust right because it's hard um it's so what I've realized is I, I don't like to read anything anymore that has advertisements on the page. Um, so, and then that takes me, you know, to PubMed and, and the original research is sort of what I feel limited to, which I understand that a lot of people, um, don't want to go read studies and meta analyses and stuff. So then it becomes really difficult to figure out sort of who to trust and how to, um, how to analyze it and, and how to read it. So, there are like hot topics right now, like ones that you and I have discussed, like the ketogenic diet or the paleo or intermittent fasting. And, um, so if you worked for paleo health or, uh, health magazine, fitness magazine, men's, whatever, that's the type of thing that you would publish 
just to get page views because you've got advertisements on your page and, and that's where you get your money. So it almost doesn't matter what, what your opinion is, but mm-hmm. you've got to publish something that talks about that. So say it's the healthiest diet, say it's the least healthy diet, say it will give you cancer, say it will prolong your life. It doesn't really matter as long as you're talking about it and as long as you get the page views for the advertisements. So then what becomes problematic is if you if you read through something like that, and this has happened with 100% every single time I read an article like this, um, they'll cite something. They'll cite an article or something else. And if you follow that down the rabbit hole, see what they're citing, it, it probably will take you to another blog and then another blog and whatever. Finally, you'll end up at a research paper, which the research was either poorly done. So you can't, you wouldn't want to trust it anyway. Um, or it doesn't say what everyone is saying that it said, you know, it, it says there's some nuances here or whatever. And people are claiming it's the best. And it just doesn't say that what they're saying it said. Mm. You know what that reminds uh, me of? Um, hmm. That whole thing, this so 20 years ago, when Purdue University, I'm, I'm pretty sure Purdue University came out with Oxycontin, there was a two-liner in one of the research articles that they came out with, and it said that there was no risk to using opioids. And so a bunch of advertisements started coming out saying that opioids were not harmful, and everybody just ran with it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so harmful, and I sort of have a crude metaphor to what I what I think of it, but I think I might skip that on your podcast and give me permission. <laughs> All but, right, go ahead, um, and uh, we'll edit well, it if it needs editing. <laughs> um, I call it like a a circle. Um, all these, all these blogs oh my god stuff. okay I'm, i might have to edit that okay, okay so it's just um oh, you, get a, you get a situation where everyone's citing each other and it's all bs you know what i mean so this blog will cite this blog will cite this blog none of them have access to the right information or correct information, but they're all citing each other. So it all seems like each one has citations. You know what I mean? Like that's the problem. And like, I know I've been talking here for a minute, but like, let me give you an example. So one of my friends reached out to me just cause she knows I'm doing the research in this. And she said, Hey, I kind of want to try the ketogenic diet. Um, everyone knows you shouldn't do it long term, but I was just wondering to ask you like, or wanted to ask you how long should I do it? And I said, I, I haven't heard that, but like, let me look into the research tonight and I'll get back to you tomorrow. I looked at the research and not everybody knows that you shouldn't do it long term. In fact, no one really knows how long you should do it. There's different models. There's different hypotheses and and questions. Um, They noticed that when kids who do the ketogenic diet very, very strictly, like watch every molecule that goes into their mouth for epilepsy. There can be an incidence of kidney stones within like one to 28 months. There's like all these, but like really, really extreme cases in the research itself. So you wouldn't really know that everyone knows not to do that. You just, no one knows. It's not that you should do it for a long time or shouldn't. It's just you, that information isn't known. But if you want to Google how long should you do the ketogenic diet, you got uh, a random guy who calls himself a doctor who's not a doctor saying, uh, I tell my patients. <laughs> That's another talk we can get into. Definitely. Yeah. And he says, I, um, I can't recommend the ketogenic diet for more than three months. And here's why blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, you, you, you don't know that you can't know that. And it's BS to like propagate and disseminate that information that is just not known. It's not that it's wrong. It might be right, but it's Probably not. And you just don't know. And I think it's just such BS to have people misleading the public like that, you know, because then his article is going to be his opinion. It's it, That's what it classified as. Mm-hmm. An opinion will get cited by someone else and then propagated. And then you have someone coming to me saying everyone knows you shouldn't do it for more than three months. And it's like, where? but you have to find where that information came from because you know it's going to be 
BS. It's going to come from a random guy saying it once, you know, which is so amazing to me because that's not an outlier. Any claim in nutrition or research or food that you think you know right now, even me and you still probably, Mm -hmm. if we went down the rabbit hole to figure out where did we, where did we initially get this information and how do we actually know it? It would turn out to be a situation like that where someone randomly said it once and then it got propagated or a bad study or something like it never, there's nothing known (laughs) pretty much is what I'm trying to say. And it's crazy. And, and it's not what people like either, especially with regards to what they're eating. People Mm -hmm. want answers. And I think it's the, the hard truth is that we just don't have solid answers and 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 there's not an easy way to get it and just bad studies in general too there are a lot mm-hmm. of bad studies that are not you know accounting for confounding oh my gosh you yeah, know yeah, like yeah. there's so many variables so if you don't know what confounding is confounding is basically you know other variables that can affect the research or account for certain results um that are portrayed in research so i can't think of a specific example off the top of my head but there, it's how do we figure out, like, that's the problem. Like, how do we figure out what research actually has accounted for everything is a really solid, good study and yeah. whose claims we can actually trust. That's where having a professional opinion would probably come in or like a PhD, somebody who's really well-versed in research, come out and say something about an article. I would probably trust that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, a statistician or, or someone who can analyze the studies objectively. You know, nutrition is especially hard because the gold standard for studies is a double blind, right? So the patient does not know what they're getting. But with regards to nutrition and diet, it's you can't really blind a patient. You know, they know what they're eating and they know what they're... So there's already introduction of biases in that way. Um, and then it's also hard to compare populations to populations because of the confounding that you mentioned. So the best way to do it and the way that they've tried to do it in nutrition is... Um, like crossover. So you compare people to themselves. You have the same person, you know, try a diet for a while because that person has their own genetics and and you're not comparing it to someone without other genetics and other upbringings and other poverty levels and everything. So you have one person try it, washout period. The same person try something else, which um, then it's hard to get as many people to do that. And it's it's harder to do that long term. So, and nutrition Mm -hmm. is something that the effects are long term. So it's just, it's a hard really highly variable thing to study, um, Mm -hmm. which kind of adds to the complications of of everything and adds to the way that we don't know the things that we think we know, but then still have people claiming facts when it's just really, really hard to get facts here. Yeah. And then there's also the subjective part of that. So like people's actual experiences or opinions about certain things. So I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and he had George St. Pierre, who's a MMA fighter on there. George St. Pierre recently had ulcerative colitis. And for those of you that don't know, ulcerative colitis is, you know, uh, inflammatory bowel disorder. And you get kind of like a scarring uh, in your intestinal lining and bleeding. And it's a real nasty disease. So he was diagnosed with this. He's an incredible athlete. If you guys look him up, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, So he talked on the podcast about intermittent fasting. And this is what sort of got me interested in the whole intermittent fasting thing because he talked about his subjective experience with intermittent fasting and how that basically cured him of ulcerative colitis. And for me, that was like shocking, number one, because this is an athlete. I'm sure he knows his body pretty well. And for him to come out and say, because of this, I feel a hundred times better. And he said, you know, basically he doesn't eat for a set amount of hours every single, you know, every single day, you know, from 
maybe like 7 p.m. till noon the next day, you know, and he has that small window of time to eat. And he says he eats whatever he wants during that time. And essentially that's cured him from his symptoms of ulcerative colitis. So then you hear these subjective experiences and you run with it and people run with it. Even me as someone who is a physician now, like I'm hearing the subjective experience and I'm thinking, oh, well, if it works for him, it's got to work. But, you know, it's a balancing act too, because you can't just run with subjective you know, people's subjective thoughts on something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so much of nutrition is, are those anecdotal, you know, case, case studies or a case series even, or, um, it's worked for some people or it's worked for a group. Um, but it's really hard to generalize any of that, but I'm glad you brought up intermittent fasting. Yeah. So you've been, (laughs) you've been researching this for a while. That's the research that I'm doing uh, officially for my school, which is intermittent fasting and type two diabetes. Mm. And I just want to say with everything that I just said about feeling like there's nothing factual, there's nothing that's unbiased or unmuddied by corporations or anything, intermittent fasting is the one thing that I can come closest enough. I can approach feeling like I could claim it as a fact. All these other diets, it's sort of like maybe, maybe not, maybe, I don't know. Intermittent fasting, I feel like, yes, that's a, that's the right thing to do. And I, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, so I'm comfortable with the physiology behind it and I, I, it feels fluent and it feels correct. Um, also the history of it, the paleolithic area, you know, people don't need to eat all the time, all the time and, and what that does to our hormones and our body. And then also just for the, the corporate nature of it, there's no one who can profit off that. So we, you know, we've gone, even over the last century, we've gone from eating three meals a day to six. And, and that's a, you know, there's snack companies and now we got a sugar bar and a protein snack and your protein shake. And, and then now we've got like diet books and diet plans and, and meals and delivery. And it's just, there's always a diet that, that can be profited off of, you know, but intermittent yeah. fasting can't be it. If mm-hmm. you just don't eat, you eat something and then you don't eat something yeah. and there's not, there's no one who's selling that to you. There's no one. So it, it's, it hasn't gained the, the, the public uh, I don't know. I think it's getting Support. there though. I think there yeah, are. Yeah, it totally is. It totally <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. But it just hasn't been pushed by like corporations or anything because they can't, like no one can make money off of it, which, which to me makes it a lot more very, trustworthy as well. I'm very surprised by people's ability to make money off of things. <laughs> oh, I remember, I remember, <laughs> this is so off topic, but I remember Garcinia Cambogia when that first came out, um, it was like this nutritional supplement. Oh um, Yeah people were using it as a weight loss supplement people were hearing about it on dr oz a lot and so they were coming to me at the gnc and i'm i'm not even in medical school at this point i don't know much about it i was like i was making three dollars and fifty cents off each one i sold so i was just selling them left and right and i was praising dr (laughs) oz because i was making money and i had no idea what am i what do i know and that Mm -hmm. was just like a fad you know one of those fads where and we're going to have so many more of those fads where it's either yeah. a nutritional supplement or a diet or what have you. So we, so essentially you go into a, uh, you know, I'm not going to use any specific store, but let's just say a nutritional supplement store, for example. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. go in and you don't know, a, you don't know that person's history. You don't know if they have high blood pressure or if they have diabetes or what they have. They come in, they tell you like they're looking to lose weight or something and you as an employee you're a sales rep you're essentially a salesperson 
and you want to make money at your job, you're going to sell them what is going to pay you the the best, uh, you know, for whatever it is they're looking for. So there's things like, uh, there's a lot of supplements that raise your blood pressure. And I remember specifically, like someone came in and they had, I had sold them something which had a lot of caffeine in it, which can raise your blood pressure and like an extraordinary amount of caffeine. And they came in return to the, the next day and they're like, my blood, my blood pressure was out the roof. And that stuck with me for a long time because I was like, oh my God, I gave somebody something and like, what if something bad happens? Like, how is there yeah. no regulation over that? What on, what yeah. on earth? I mean, I've never talked about this until now just because I just remembered it, but geez. Yeah, yeah right. And it, it's... I know there's a couple things I want to say about that. One is the the paradigm of it, where I think the the quick fix solution is again our like our problem. You know, like these are lifestyle diseases that most people have, and and then they people want quick fixes and and easy answers. And I want to be able to take a supplement, and I want my problems to go away. Which I think that's the wrong conversation to be having. It's it's so much more nuanced and and big picture, and just like any disease, like look at look at the risk factors for a cancer. It's like genetics and your lifestyle and activity level and smoking. And there's a whole picture being painted. And then we talk about, I guess the research I'm doing is diabetes or obesity. And we say, you know, you eat too much and you don't exercise. And it's just like two things when it's really, there's a big picture that needs to be talked about. And it's not these easy answers. Um, also the supplement industry is, I think you're so right. It's so unethical and so unregulated things things don't have to go through fda approval right yeah they don't so, yeah there's nothing so you don't need it's FDA not approval for not that. tested yeah. yeah and so things will only get pulled off the shelf once they cause considerable harm and then also they did some this, uh, some study in new york new york public health did a study where they tested the ingredients of these supplements. If I'm remembering this correctly, the majority of them, the stuff in the bottle was not the stuff that was on the label of the bottle. Mm. It wasn't even the right thing. So it's not even that like you as a salesman are going to give this person something and it might do some harm. It's like what you're saying that you're giving them might not even be what you're giving them. Like that's how unethical that becomes. And then it, it can have effects and then you can't until it kills a couple people, then it'll come off the shelves. Like the whole supplement industry and how unregulated it is, mm-hmm. is I think so problematic. And then the last thing I'm going to say about this, now you got me ranting, um, is the demand for that exists because the vacuum of the current medical paradigm in fixing these problems. You know, people go to the doctors, their doctors spend 15 minutes with them. And, you know, and that's a systemic thing. That's not the doctor's fault, but they don't feel like they're getting their questions answered. Whereas they can walk into a a supplement store and it's a really nice person and they want to help them out and sell them the things. And, and it's the vacuum created by quality care in our current system opens the door for phony, non-proven medical yeah. procedures and, and, and that, drugs interesting to point. exist. You know, why yeah. else would people go to, to non, non-physicians who claim to be doctors and, and things that haven't been proven and, and all these things, people, people want to be cared for. And in our current medical paradigm, people don't feel like they're being cared for. So there's a whole, yeah. man, this, we've, we could go in about 10 different tangents with this yeah. right now. It's crazy. So uh, yeah. you mentioned something about the, uh, supplements i just wanted to comment so like a big reason that we don't know all the time what's in those supplements is that a lot of the time they're proprietary blends and so what that means basically is 
that they take a bunch of ingredients, just toss them into a huge container, mix it all up, and you don't know exactly what you're getting from each thing. And so it's just packaged, but you don't know the exact amount of everything that's in there. And so that's also where some of the problems occur as well. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, it is. Hey guys, thank you for tuning into the podcast. We're going to just take a second to talk about this great promotion from our sponsor, Metalita. They know what it's like to have a hectic schedule and not very much free time. That is why they are offering a free at-home try-on. So if you're not 100% sure of your size or your style, you can easily order multiple things from their website at metalita.com. You can try them on at the comfort of your own home. You can keep what you like, return what you don't like, or if you want something embroidered, you can have it sent back to get it embroidered. This is all done with shipping covered by Metalita, and this is 100% risk-free. You can also get an additional 20% off by using the discount code BEYONDMEDICINE20. Now, back to the episode. So, I'm going to, I want to shift gears a little bit. You had a, you had something in one of your posts on Instagram about diabetes, and I thought mm. that was really interesting because whenever mm. there's something that's debunking something, <laughs> like, so I'll let you talk about that. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do it for you. Okay, sure. Um, so I've become a huge fan of Dr. Jason Fung, MD. He's a nephrologist from Toronto. Um, he's written the Obesity Code, the Diabetes Code. Um, he runs the Diabetes Management Network, IDM, in- Interventional Diabetes Management. Um, has a great blog. is super evidence based. I've just he's I trust him. I guess is what I'm saying is I I believe him and I trust him and what he does works. And he debunks sort of the current paradigm of diabetes management and obesity, the epidemic that it it has become, you know, it's like, we think we know the answer. We think we know why someone becomes obese, but if we knew that we'd be able to reverse it. And the trends are showing that, you know, it's only getting worse and worse and worse. So in short, I would check him out if I was you or anyone listening and, and he's great. But so what I've, what I've gathered, I guess, what I've come to believe and in looking at the research by myself is that it's a myth that type two diabetes is chronic and progressive. Um, but that's what we tell people. And that's, what's on the American diabetes association, that it's a chronic and progressive disease. And first you start on metformin and then sulfonylureas, you know, and then some insulin, exogenous insulin, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And then you've got eye problems, retinopathy and nephropathy and, um, and then that's it. And then that's your diabetes and you die of it. Um, whereas the correct paradigm is that the way that we treat type two diabetes makes it chronic and progressive. Inherently, it's not. It's reversible. And people reverse it all the time. People who have gastric bypass and basically aren't eating for a couple of weeks because their stomach is so tiny, reverse their diabetes. Um, people who go on regimens with very low carbohydrate diets and intermittent fasting where they're they're lowering their insulin by not eating, you know, you eat yeah. and your insulin goes up so that they can reverse their type two diabetes, get off all their medications in a matter of months. But that's not the paradigm that we do. The paradigm we do is start with one drug, add a couple other dr- couple other drugs, add yeah. insulin, and then let's start insulin. You kind of start this vicious cycle of higher insulin, and then you get higher insulin resistance. Need more insulin, need more, have get more insulin resistance, and then it's a cycle where we make people worse, and it's criminal, I think. So I, I just want to comment on that real quick. So yeah. You're right about that. Uh, you know, once you, I mean, as you start off with the medication, you, you, you try to start off with diet and lifestyle. You know, that's the recommended thing to do first and foremost. But patients are not always, because everybody's looking for a quick fix, number one. The majority, I'm not going to say everybody, but 
the majority of the patients I've been seeing, at least, they are looking for a quick fix or something to, I mean, if you tell them intermittent fasting and paleo and things like that, they're not going to be super excited about it. They're going to be a little resistant, and it's hard to get someone to change that kind of lifestyle. I think that's one of the problems. Also, um, I think just the, the culture of prescribing medications is so ingrained in medicine that even as like your mentors teaching you and things like that, they do that all the time, and you're kind of expected to follow in that path. I also see that as problematic as well. So there's yeah. not too much questioning going on. I so yeah. I totally agree. And but yeah. I just wanted to throw in that, you know, that adjunct just because yeah. there are and some so, reasons for that. Yeah. So and I, I think so systemically, yeah, physicians you get fifteen minutes average, twenty minutes with the patient. Um it's really hard to change someone's entire realm of how they eat and, and, and what they're doing in that time. So I think that, yeah, we're already limited in that way. The other thing though, is the current recommendations for people who have type two diabetes, it's three meals a day and three snacks a day. So eating six times a day and, and to, which ends up just being eating six times a day. Eat it right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a certain amount of carbohydrates that are required and, and they, that they think are required. And that's what they recommend for people, which if we remind people of the physiology there, so you eat, well, mostly anything, but if you eat carbohydrates, your insulin levels will, will go up, you know, and you're storing energy. If your insulin levels go up six times a day, you start to get more resistant to it, right? That's how tolerance works. That's how anything physiologically works. And then once you become more insulin, then you kick in this vicious cycle. You become a little bit more insulin resistant, and then you keep going up and up. Insulin, you start gaining weight. In, um, insulin is a primary driver, I think, the primary driver of weight gain. And then you've started off the vicious cycle of obesity and type 2 diabetes. So the other thing is the diet lifestyle that we learn to recommend in, in medical school and, and on is designed to fail. So, you know, we say to people, eat less and exercise more. Mm. Can't, no one can stick to that, and it's wrong. Or we say, eat, eat six times a day, eat a bunch of little meals, that'll, that'll help. That's wrong to do. And then it's designed to fail, so people come back in three months, it hasn't worked, and then we kick them off on metformin. And now we're starting the, the drug where it's chronic and progressive cycle. So the, the way that we treat the disease, the way that we think the disease works, and then the way that we treat it because we think the disease works, has dire consequences. And and what is it? It's like 30 million people in this country. Is, is that off? Is it like... I'm sure. I'm, I thought it was about 10%. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's maybe more. It's something ridiculous. I don't... It's something ridiculous. But it's like all of these people, that's such a, such a global burden. Now, you know, China yeah. and India and any westernized country, it's just riddled with type 2 diabetes and obesity. And we've got the wrong paradigm for it. Like that to yeah. me is mind-blowing there's I a think. lot of and there's a lot of things we could go into about that you know like one being the food industry two being you know the hospital systems and or not the hospital systems but just the way medicine is right now systemically where you're not able to spend so much time to really give that you know care for your patients and then also patient culture as well because people want the quick fix they want the pill mm. they just want to get better right away and there are a number of complex issues going on and I like that we're I like that we're addressing this though because it's kind of like because we stopped we've almost stopped having this conversation we've almost just accepted as you know the medication as being the norm metformin being the norm uh, you know invokana insulin whatever you want that's the norm 
So I'm, at least we're having this conversation. I appreciate that, and I'm happy we're at least having that because that's where people start to think and start to question things. Yeah. As a start, you know, we could be wrong. We could not be wrong. At least it's a start. But I also want to know what he's doing specifically in terms of managing people with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I would say also people who want to kind of expand on this conversation that we're having, if you go to YouTube and watch um, Jason Fung, he's got a... He, How do you spell that? Jason channel. Fung, F-U-N-G? F-U-N-G, yeah, okay. yeah. One of the one that kind of summarizes a lot of this, it's called the two main myths of type 2 diabetes, I think. Um, he's got another called the calorie deception. He's just got a bunch. He puts his lectures up on there, and it's clear and evidence-based and convincing. And a lot of times his lectures are an hour, an hour and a half, so you can put it on two times so you can watch it if you don't have patience. But it's the right information, and it's the information that all of us should be getting and disseminating, both as a patient or someone who cares for type 2 diabetes or knows someone, or as a caretaker, a physician, mm. or a clinician in any way where you can start having the right conversations with people, I think. Because okay. it's such a burden. It's such a health burden. It's the health burden of our generation, mm. you know, and we're thinking about it wrong, which is crazy. I'm going um, to link, I'm going to post a video, an audio clip at the end of this podcast episode of him talking about that. Great. I'll do maybe oh. like a five minute clip or something yes. with I the permission of Dr. Fung, if he's cool with that. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. So his theory, one is if, so if you have a graph, bar graph, on that x-axis is either protein, fat, or carbohydrates. Y-axis is the insulin spike you get after ingesting that type of macro. So carbohydrates go, it spikes it way, way up quickly. Uh, proteins go do go up, but less. And then fats barely, barely spike insulin that much. So you eat a lot of fats um, and healthy fats. And healthy fats is what I said, not unhealthy fats. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't spike your insulin that much. So there's a lot of and, – and if you do eat a lot of carbohydrates, if you have type 2 diabetes, you're going to spike your insulin a lot. Or if you eat a lot of carbohydrates and you've lost the ability to create insulin because you've, you've blasted out your beta cells or you've become a lot of insulin – you've become insulin resistant, then you eat carbohydrates and you have to inject yourself with exogenous insulin. And it's the same cycle where people with type 2 diabetes already have an excess of insulin. That's not the problem. They have enough insulin. Uh-huh. So that's really interesting. Um, I, I'm yeah, going to I'm going to actually look this guy up as soon as we're done because I'm just yeah. really intrigued by this. Yeah, I, w- I would too. Um, also, he talks about how the the blood glucose paradigm is the wrong paradigm. Type two diabetes is not a hyperglycemic problem; it's a hyperinsulinemia problem, and and I buy that too. Yeah. So that the issue is. It's not focusing on A1Cs or blood glucose. It's you need to focus on insulin. How do we decrease? insulin. So that's what he does. So diets high in fat, low to no carbohydrates and moderate proteins, also whole food, like refined carbohydrates that take out all the fiber and and everything are Mm -hmm. the primary culprit, kind of the villain, especially in type 2 diabetes. So high fats. And then also you work in intermittent fasting, whereas a period of no eating. So no eating equals no insulin spikes. And then when you break your fast, you have high fats. So again, insulin just stays low and, and people can improve their insulin sensitivity and decrease their insulin resistance using this model. And and it's really crazy. And then in his book, uh, The Obesity Code, um, he talks about sort of why fat has got this bad rap over the last 30 or 40 years and and why we've gone low fat everything and why we think that's healthy and how that has become one of the biggest problems. You know, so he kind of goes into the science behind it all in his book, but in practice, that's the model. And I think also what's important in his model, it's, you know, he works in a clinic and he has a team and they, they work with people 
individually. And that's what is so important and what's so missing in our current paradigm. Yes. You know, we, we want to treat everybody the same way. You give them metformin and, and then what, and you, yeah. you kick them out the door. He worked, and it's, so that's, it makes it a little bit exclusive, probably mm. prohibitively exclusive. Um, but although he does put a lot of stuff out for free, if you were, if you wanted to work with him or go to his clinic, um, they're going to spend time with you personally, making the plan for you personally. So it works for you. Like say, um, Say you have a family dinner every night, then fine, that'll be your meal, and then we'll fast for the other times, or say something else, you know. So we, and that's what's so important, especially for adherence to any diet or nutrition plan, is that it has to work for people, and it can't be kind of like a umbrella solve, yeah. try, try to get everyone under the same umbrella, because that's just not gonna not yeah. gonna work. And that's been shown for all the diets in the past, you know, half centuries. Mm-hmm. You try to put everyone under the same umbrella, and it doesn't it doesn't work. It'll work for the first six months, and then it'll backfire. Are you interested? And are you going into primary care? Are you interested in that? <laughs> um, so that's what I've been interested. Yeah. So, but over the last several months, with or endocrinology, study, it's been endocrine. <laughs> that's what I've been wanting to get into. <laughs> yeah, you guessed it. Which before, because I've been an athlete my whole life, so I kind of thought I'd go PMNR or or something where it's yeah. like sports med like that. But after all this, it, like this is the bigger deal. Like I, I want to go into endocrine or even nephrology like how he did or something or, or maybe even primary care but kind of focus more on, on I don't know definitely. diet nutrition right. I could definitely see you as an endocrinologist for sure thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> for sure uh, so the reason I was asking you that was also because you know this this whole thing about direct primary care that I've been talking about a lot on my podcast because that's addressing part of the issue which is you know, the lack of quality care that patients are getting and the lack of education that they're getting about, you know, some of the things that can be done for them. So luckily for me uh, in residency right now, we have a half day of continuity clinic, which is essentially just long-term, long-term care in a family practice setting for our patients. And it started, the clinic started off pretty slow. So what that opportunity for me has actually been was I'm actually able to spend 30 minutes with these patients. And so a lot of the patients I've been having this talk with, you know, like about, um, you know, about lifestyle changes, about healthy eating, about what kind of options they can uh, do in terms of, you know, diets and then which I don't really like to use the word diet, but like some like paleo and keto and things like that. And then mm-hmm. I talk to them a lot about like, you know, I ask them, what do you what do you when you go into the grocery store what do you buy where what aisle do you go into first we talk about that i say okay listen you need to go into the grocery store buy five greens five fruits and a number of other things look up recipes online you need to start cooking at home and you need to start making food a priority i have this talk with people and they're sometimes so shocked that like their doctor is talking to them about this like literally sometimes people are just like whoa thank you like mm-hmm. i've never had anybody talk to me about that and i'm just like yeah cool man i mean i've just got some free time so i figured i could talk to you <laughs> yeah uh, but it, it makes a difference having that talk in them having that come from their physician who essentially mm-hmm. they're putting their trust in makes them feel like that's a hundred times more powerful than coming from google or coming from a family yeah. friend yeah or from anybody else you sitting in that office wearing your white coat looking your patient in the eye and talking to them and like showing that you care that goes really really far and a couple of the people yeah. that i've seen have already have i haven't followed up with them yet but they've told me like yes i'm gonna do that and i actually believe them <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it's way more powerful than handing them a pamphlet or, or something like that. I think it's one of the biggest oversights in medical education is nutrition, you know, is we don't, we don't really have these conversations and you have to do a lot of extracurricular work as a medical student to try to get a hang of yeah. nutrition science. You know, there, we, you know, you do a, couple, a week or two of kind of the same low cal, mm -hmm. high exercise diets, and then that's it. And look at the health problems in this country with overweight, obesity, type two diabetes, all these metabolic syndromes, that's the that's the primary problem, and that's mm -hmm. what we're not getting education about yeah. in medical school. That's insanity that physicians aren't knowledgeable about this. You know, yeah. my classmates, I, I talk to even my parents are physicians, and they don't know any of this. It's yeah. it's it's unbelievable. It's one mm -hmm. of the biggest oversights, and I, I think that's why I wrote in that in oh that one of the posts that you like that um that it's I think this is the conversation of 21st century health is mm -hmm. changing this paradigm and, and letting people understand this and learning about it for real yeah. for real for real yeah and I, I think it's every you know every health professional even if you're not a physician every health professional who's seeing patients to you know like you're not going to learn everything in school there's no way you have to be in you have to be on top of yourself you have to you know essentially what becoming a doctor is is learning how to think that's where the real value of becoming a physician is it's not the things you learned in medical school because half the things you learned are not going to be true in 10 years anyways but mm -hmm. it's the mm -hmm. thought process that you learn how to think critically about something how to analyze research how to apply that knowledge that's the value so you have to continuously be looking out for you know the truth be looking out for your patients uh and you know brainstorming on how things can be done better you know like i get it not everybody is interest not everybody has that kind of mindset where they want to be innovative or now they want to do their jobs and have their career and that's it and that's fine too but you can't you know it's also your responsibility you got to be on top of stuff yeah and i think 21st century medicine you need to be on top of your nutrition you need to know you know what kind of what kind of uh foods are you know, it's not it's not rocket science. We all know vegetables are good for you. We all know fruits are also good. I mean, essentially, just something coming from the earth is good for me, good for you. So it's not that hard. But we have to be able to communicate that well as, yeah, you know, as well. Yeah, I think you said something good about it being our responsibility, and I, I, that's how I see it too. Where thinking critically about what we're telling people and analyzing the information for ourselves as it pertains to health is our responsibility as a healthcare professional, especially as a physician who kind of leads the charge where, you know, kind of the most trusted within the healthcare realm. It is our responsibility. And I think it's an abdication of our responsibility to just say, diet lifestyle next, diet lifestyle next, you know, yeah, yeah, make sure you eat less, exercise more next. It's a, that's, I think, irresponsible mm -hmm. to do that for people, patients who put their health into your hands and to be giving them unproven or unsubstantiated evidence yeah. or claims. It's so yeah. problematic. I sort of see that. So like my big thing right now is also learning about direct primary care, because if you can't get into the right environment where you're able to do that, you're, I mean, good luck, good luck working for a hospital system and trying to do all of that. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. my big kick right now is learning about direct primary care, the options that we have for primary care physicians, at least starting off, because that's going to be the easiest way to kind of move into direct primary care. Maybe mm -hmm. other specialties will follow suit. Um, but so that's kind of where I'm leaning towards right now is just kind of as a start, you know, like if I can do that myself when I'm done in two and a half, two and three quarters years, 
Um, <laughs> I'm counting every day, but yeah, yeah, counting. <laughs> uh, that'll at least kick things off in the right direction because I want to be able yeah. ten years down the line. I want to be able to you know be making a difference in my patients' lives and you know mm-hmm. not be doing the practicing medicine in the way that I'm seeing it practiced today. Yeah. Anyways, five interesting things real quick about you, Jamie, so our audience can better connect with you. I was a Division One college athlete. I played basketball at the University of San Francisco. Um, let's see, what else? I have two horses. Oh, My right. horse is named Dice, and I grew up riding horses. That's really interesting. Like, you made this seem like it was going to be hard. <laughs> well, no, I still got three more. Um, All right, fine. One, one more. One more. Okay. Okay. A couple months ago, I fell into concrete and I busted my knee open. And this was on a Tuesday of the week, a Tuesday. And I had to get stitches in my knee. And the ER doc told me um, not to run the half marathon that I was scheduled to run in on the Sunday. So five Let me days, guess, you ran it. I ran it and I beat my <laughs> PR. <laughs> oh, no way. I did That's really well. Yeah, that is pretty yeah. interesting. Good job. Thanks. But as, as a doctor, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> Well, all right, Jamie, real quick, <laughs> because this is kind of like the first pod sessions. I want to hear some I want to hear some people's pe- feedbacks on this because we're kind of kicking it off with just uh, I think like this is like a cool part to add to the podcast because we can just talk free flowing about stuff and talk mm-hmm. about whatever we have on our minds, whatever's going on in the current state of healthcare or medicine or life or whatever. I think that's cool. I'm always happy to do that. So I want to hear if, uh, if any of you are listening if you have any feedback definitely let myself or jamie know and jamie i'm still going to do this like i do with every show i'm going to ask you what it means for you to go beyond medicine i think so much of what we've been talking about today and thinking critically and finding your own niche and your own passion within this realm because I think we have such a, a short-sighted view of what medicine is, you know? It's just, it's the school and the studying and the drugs and the appointments and that's it, you know? But it's, it's so much more than that. It's thinking critically about why all this exists and, and how we can create a new paradigm. So that's what it means to me is to love think it. critically and find your own niche. I, I seriously love asking this question because <laughs> the, the answers that I get are amazing and they're so variable that it's actually pretty Ooh. cool. I, I, I love it. Great job, cool. Jamie. How can people connect with you and find you, read your articles? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go to my website, which is jamiekatuna.com. Um, also on Instagram at Speak Out Medicine. Dope. All right. Thank you so much, Jamie. Yeah, thanks we'll for having me. We'll talk again soon. Hey, podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope we brought you some practical, good advice that you can apply to your life. Guys, if you could please do us the favor of sharing this telling people about it, leaving us a comment, subscribing, all that will help us grow and will help us spread our message. Also, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can go to our website and click support and it will help us grow this podcast and continue doing what we were doing and bringing you more high quality guests like the one you just heard. Thank you guys. Peace.